Good morning, I'm Darrell Gunter, your host for leadership on WSOU 89.5 FM at the campus of Seton Hall University located in South Orange, New Jersey. We're pleased to have back in our studio today Dr. Scott Parazinski, our NASA astronaut who's been to space five times and has actually climbed Mount Everest as well. And I must say he's the only human that we know of that has achieved both of these feats. Scott, welcome back to the program. Hey, thank you, Darrell. Glad to be here. And Scott, as we were talking about your preparation for your space flight, let's talk about some of the key leadership challenges that the leader faces on the flight. In space flight, uh, it, it's really quite unique. Uh, the, the commander uh, really has to make uh, uh, decisions in a uh, you know, very stressful environment. The decisions that are made uh, oftentimes are uh, life and death. Uh, you're, you're sitting on uh, 7 million pounds of uh, rocket propellant thrust, and uh, um, so you really do uh, have, uh, have to have a lot of confidence in your team and know, that, uh, um, know their strengths and weaknesses, and uh, you, know, you, you oftentimes don't have the ability to, uh, to dwell on uh, data and uh, make a deliberate, uh, you know, slow decision. You have to, uh, to act. And um, so that comes with, uh, you know, a great deal of training, of course, and the development of trust between the members of the team. And, and when you're up there in space and you have a particular sticky issue, um, how is the discussion conveyed amongst the group? How is, how is it organized so that it stays very constructive and to the point of solving the problem and not pointing fingers? I think um, that comes through uh, the, the training process uh, um, that I mentioned, uh, you know, during the last uh, uh, discussion we had. Uh, we uh, tend to go out uh, as new crews uh, uh, using the National Outdoor Leadership School, and, and each crew then develops their own uh, leadership style and, and uh, the dynamics that uh, make things work in a challenging environment. Um, but uh, you also become very close friends. There's a great deal of respect between uh, members of uh, a crew. And uh, I've always found that the, the conversations uh, tend to be you know, very respectful, but also very focused. Uh, I, I would also point out that a fair number of the uh, astronaut corps hail from the military, so there's a, uh, a, a certain uh, operating protocol that uh, tends to uh, become part of the, the culture of uh, uh, most crews, and, and uh, so you stay uh, very operationally focused. Um, and, uh, and also there's a, a great deal of uh, coordination with mission control that's similarly focused. So um, in, unless it's a, you know, a time-critical uh, type of uh, decision that needs to be made, we'll, we'll consult with uh, the flight director uh, down in Mission Control, Houston. You know, I, I have to ask because uh, John Glenn is a personal hero of mine, mm -hmm. being a young man growing up and uh, reading about him circling, orbiting the Earth. Uh, you were actually on a mission with him where you were monitoring, um, I guess, his, his, his body's uh, reaction to space, if, 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 if you will. Um, how was that mission, and, and how did you, did you get to know uh, Senator John Glenn quite closely? I certainly did. It was uh, a thrill of a lifetime to uh, uh, to fly with John. Uh, he was one of my boyhood heroes as well, and and it still is a hero. You know, he he's a hero to multiple generations because uh, you know he's he's shown what people can do uh, as senior citizens as well. You know, his, his mind 
uh, is still as sharp as it is ever, ever was, uh, still extremely active. Um, we flew STS-95 uh, when he was 77 years old, incredibly fit guy, and uh, had the opportunity to uh, monitor a number of uh, medical investigations that were looking at uh, how a, a more senior astronaut uh, adjusts to the microgravity of space versus uh, the adaptations of a younger astronaut, because uh, you know this microgravity of space is a great analog for the aging process. Uh, you may not be aware of this, but uh, even a, a young astronaut spending a couple of weeks in space has changes in muscle and bone and even the heart muscle oh. that are very similar to uh, the aging process. And and so we're very interested in, in studying John's adaptation to space and then his readaptation to uh, the Earth's gravity. Uh, but, yeah, it, it was an amazing experience to, to get to know him well and also his family, his, his lovely wife, Annie. And, uh, yeah, high point of my career. Wow. Awesome. Awesome. But let's talk about Mount Everest. Um, when did you first get the idea that you wanted to climb Mount Everest? <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, I, I read about uh, uh, Mallory and uh, Hillary as a, a young kid, and um, uh, at uh, around age 15 started rock climbing fairly seriously. Uh, so the, the seed was planted fairly uh, early on that uh, it would be very exciting to go climb Mount Everest. I didn't really consider it uh, even a remote possibility until... Uh, perhaps my late 20s when I had really developed some some technical skills and and uh, at that point I I decided that I would uh, progressively work my way up in terms of technical difficulty and in altitude on mountains and see if it was in the cards for me. Um, I didn't want to uh, um, to rush my way over to the Himalayas and uh, make a mistake and and end up, uh, you know, staying there for the rest of uh, eternity, you know, right. on the on the mountain mm-hmm. slope. So I, um, I think it's very important to be respectful of of the mountains, in particular Everest and the Himalayas, and uh, you know, you need to have not only the technical skills and the the, the endurance and strength, but uh, the judgment built over you know many seasons and many expeditions before you should tackle Everest. Now, if I understand correctly, uh, you have you have uh, climbed fifty three of Colorado's peaks that were over fourteen thousand feet. Right, I just have one left. Uh, there's, uh, <laughs> <laughs> there, there. I was uh, you know, planning to go from uh, a peak called North Maroon mm-hmm. across this ridge line to South Maroon and to finish off what's called the Colorado Grand Slam uh, last summer. But unfortunately, a storm uh, came up early in the morning, and uh, you don't want to get caught up at 14,000 feet in the Rockies with a, a thunder and lightning storm. So uh, I put it off uh, for some future date to uh, to finish the uh, that quest, but I will finish it. Now, was that part of your preparation when you were thinking about uh to, to take on Mount Everest, you said, well, first let me tackle some of these hmm, smaller peaks, 14,000 feet? Yeah, it sure was. You know, I, I've, I've climbed several of them in the, in the winter, which uh, is a, a good analog for, um, you know, uh, Himalayan mount, mountaineering. It's not nearly the same altitude, but it's, if you're coming from sea level from, from Texas up to Colorado and and uh, adjusting to the altitude and, and uh, working your way up those peaks, uh, some of which can be uh, quite challenging. Uh, it's a great uh, training ground for uh, 
for bigger mountains around the world. And, and when did you say uh, to your wife, well, I, I, I want to go to Mount Everest and climb Mount Everest. And, 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 and from that time, how much time did you give yourself to, to prepare mentally and physically uh, to, uh, to, to, for that climb? Well, I think she kind of uh, had full disclosure when she uh, first met me. Uh, <laughs> okay. I had already uh, been uh, invited to climb Mount Everest in 1994 with the British uh, Mount Everest medical expedition. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I, I actually had been invited to go climb with them. I didn't uh, actually get a chance to go because I had just been hired by NASA. Um, so I, I put it on the back burner for what... Uh, 14 years before I actually went. So so Gail knew from day one that my husband is going to climb Mount Everest one day. <laughs> <laughs> More or less, yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. And how much time, um, when, you, when you made the commitment to yourself, okay, I'm going to climb Mount Everest, was it two years of prep, one year of prep? Well, I'd always, uh, you know, all that while I um, had been targeting other mountains around the world. So, you know, Mount McKinley or Denali in Alaska uh, Aconcagua in South America and other peaks in the Andes. Um, so I was always, uh, you know, working pretty hard, uh, in the gym, either running or, or cycling, uh, to keep myself, you know, fit. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, and then of course, developing the, the technical skills to, to work up there. And, and as you prepare for your, your missions in space, when you prepare f- to climb, uh, Mount Everest, is there a team of people that you're working with? Yes, so uh, I, I traveled to Mount Everest with uh, a group called International Mountain Guides. Uh, they're an outfitter in the, uh, the Seattle, Washington area, I believe Ashford, Washington. Mm-hmm. And uh, they have a, a great track record. Um, uh, I didn't go with a guide. Uh, I had quite a bit of experience. Uh, um, my first season on the mountain, I went with uh, a friend of mine, Adam, who uh, had climbed uh, on Mount McKinley with me on Denali, and uh, uh, my first season on the mountain, uh, I ended up having a, a very serious uh, back injury and not making it to the summit. Uh, but I sent Adam on. He, he was doing fine, and I had had the uh, the reserves to get down uh, with my uh, Sherpa friend, uh, Kami Sherpa. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, so Kami and I descended the mountain, and Adam and uh, Angnamya Sherpa uh, went up to the summit and did and summited. So uh, the, mm-hmm. the next season, this past spring, I, I went up with uh, a Sherpa friend, mm-hmm. uh, but also under the, the flag of uh, the IMG team, which uh, really did a, a fantastic job. Um, and when, when you had that back injury, you had to make a decision to, to stop. Uh, and, you, mm-hmm. and you really had to do some soul searching there in regards to, wow, I've prepared for this all my life. I'm here but I'm going to have to stop. Or, or was it that you just said, you know, this is my time, and I'll just do it another time? What, what, what was going through your mind at the time? Oh, it was a gut-wrenching uh, uh, moment, for sure. I uh, had spent 59 days on the mountain uh, getting my body acclimatized to the summit. I was on the summit push at uh, uh, 24,500 feet within 24 hours of standing on top, and uh, I uh, had just excruciating back pain that uh, you know, was not uh, going away with rest and, and with icing it down. And uh, so I uh, decided you know, maybe I could uh, tighten my, my waist harness a little bit, kind of like a weight uh, lifter's uh, a belt, you know, and, and uh, 
dull the pain that way, stabilize my back, and, and go for the top. And I I did that, and uh, it, it it didn't ameliorate the pain. And I realized at that point that if I did force my way up a little bit higher, I could uh, jeopardize not only my own health and safety, but that of my my friends around me and my teammates, and and maybe not only jeopardize their their summit success, but maybe even their safety as well. So uh, at that point, uh, you know, I uh, had to turn around and and uh, you know not knowing whether or not I would get a chance to go back. It hurt. And um, was it at that point that you said, "Okay, I, I'm I'm going to." Um not make it this time for the safety of me and, of course, of, of, of the folks that I'm, I'm climbing this mountain with, but also I want to make sure I'm there for my family. Um, but I'm going to make a second attempt. When did, you, when did you make that decision to make that second attempt? Well, as I, was, uh, as I left uh, you know, my high point uh, descending the mountain, I really didn't know what was going on with my body, if I'd even be able to ever climb again. So it was, uh, it was kind of scary. Uh, and then, of course, uh, it's a very committing thing to uh, to take two months of your life and go climb Mount Everest. It's it's expensive. It's disruptive to family, uh, to your profession, and and so on. And uh, so I wasn't sure that I'd ever be able to come back. It was uh, um, you know I had invested so much energy into getting to that point, and then to turn around, uh, turn my back on the summit was uh, was really gut wrenching. But once uh, I got back, uh, it was established that I needed surgery uh, to remove a, a disc fragment that was mm. pressing on a nerve, and and uh, it was a relatively simple procedure. Uh, within a couple of months, I was back in the gym and uh, able to uh, consider trying again, and uh, and uh, so then I uh, I joke about this, but you know. Some people will tell you that uh, the hardest part about climbing Mount Everest is just getting on the plane. It's uh, there's there's so much preparation that goes into uh, arranging your life, getting you know your financing, your your sponsorships, your uh, your family settled uh, while you're away. Um, obviously, matters of employment. Uh, so the, the it's there's a huge sense of relief when you actually sit down and you know board the plane uh, for Kathmandu. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> obviously, the, the physical and mental workload ahead of you is is really challenging too. But uh, um, I would say in in uh, just right after Christmas uh, a year ago is when I I kind of had a a sense that it was really going to happen that I would go back. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And how did you prepare differently for your second attempt? Well, I, I was obviously very protective of uh, my back uh, while on the mountain, much more so than I had been the year before. But also I did a lot more uh, back stabilizing and core exercises uh, before uh, returning to the mountain. And then I also did them while I was there, even at base camp. So uh, that seemed to be the trick. And how many people were in your party that summited the mountain with you? Well, uh, I, my my summit day, we had twelve from uh, the IMG team, uh, and about all told, I think, uh, gosh, I think we had twenty five climbers on the IMG. Oh wow! Uh, permit, not not all of them summited. It, typically, it's about one in three people mm-hmm. will summit. 
And uh, I guess the, the there's a leader amongst the IMG team that is actually leading the expedition up up the uh, up the summit. Absolutely, uh, clear level-headedness is uh, is paramount. Uh, um, obviously, there are dramatic things that can and do happen in these environments, and uh, um, you know, panic is never never a solution. So, assuming a, a calm leadership uh, and uh, you're making uh, decisions based on knowledge of, of the mountain and on the strengths and weaknesses of your team, you can uh, you can do very well. And as we saw uh, this past season on Everest, uh, we were able to rescue a couple of uh, climbers uh, out of the, uh, the avalanche on on the icefall. Members of our Sherpa team, uh, led by Eric Simonson, were able to uh, extract a couple of climbers and get them down to safety. Oh, boy, that's, that is such a good feeling to see that someone's life has been saved. Mm-hmm. Now, saving lives, of course, uh, which our audience hasn't doesn't know yet. You just mentioned about being an emergency room doctor, but you've also served as an emergency room doctor. That's right. I, my medical training uh, led me to pursue a career in emergency medicine and trauma, um, and probably I'd still be doing that had I not been selected by NASA uh, back in 1992, I was uh, I was in a residency training program when uh, I got the call from NASA. But uh, it was, certainly was a, a great uh, training environment for leadership. Uh, as a, an emergency physician, you are responsible for uh, health and well-being of anyone who walks through that door. And so, um, you know, oftentimes you see critically ill and injured patients come in, and it's your job to you know prevent them from dying and to try and assure the best outcome possible for them while all sorts of things are happening around you. And typically you're juggling several different patients and dozens of people, nursing staff and uh, respiratory technicians and others are are whispering in your ears with questions and you have to to manage uh, all those patients and all those uh, inputs at the same time. And it's, uh, it's a real juggling act for sure. And and I remember when uh, Anthea Stratagos of Outsell, uh, you were supposed to speak at the conference the year before, but unfortunately due to the uh, hurricane, um, you had some matters there in Houston that you needed to address. And I believe that you and, and a number of your colleagues were really busy uh, helping save lives and helping to administer to the people who were injured there. Can you tell us about that environment that you were in? Was it, uh, I guess it was 24-7. You had triage that was set up in different venues. Um, what was it like to, to be a leader in that situation? Oh, that, that's a great uh, question, uh, Durella. Actually, it, you're, you're actually speaking of two different hurricanes. Uh, okay. uh, um, the, the year before, it was Hurricane Ike, and that actually affected uh, us here personally in, in Houston. Uh, we were without power for 12 days, and, and so I needed to attend to uh, our home and our family uh, that prevented me from traveling out to the conference. But it was uh, actually in the aftermath of Katrina uh, when uh, thousands of uh, uh, people came from uh, the New Orleans area where I was uh, involved in the, the medical care of uh, some quite sick people uh, at the Astrodome and then uh, in the Reliance Center uh, surrounding it. And uh, so I took off a couple of weeks from work, uh, took Vacation. It wasn't much of a vacation, I assure you, but right. um, <laughs> but uh, it was really a, uh, uh, an amazing time. Uh, it, I really felt great about Houston uh, because the the whole city um, you know, really uh, 
uh, opened up its arms to uh, uh, people who really needed a lot of help. And so, uh, you know, very proud of uh, the city and the, and the way it, uh, it behaved as a whole uh, to help people in need. Wow. Just amazing. Just amazing. And um, getting back to uh, Mount Everest, uh, when you finally summed it, Mount Everest, what was the feeling that you had? Well, it was uh, it, uh, just a, a feeling of incredible euphoria. Um, I think perhaps because of uh, delayed gratification, if you will. It, it had uh, evaded me or eluded me uh, the year before. It had been a, an incredible struggle to get back up to a point where I could tackle the summit again and uh, to actually make it. Uh, certainly the hardest thing I'd ever done physically as well as, as mentally. Uh, it, it was spectacular. Um, one of my goals had been to arrive there at sunrise so that I could see a sunrise from the top of the mountain. And uh, I arrived four, five minutes before the, uh, the orange glow uh, began, and I was able to see the entire sunrise as I uh, descended the summit ridge. Uh, so uh, it, was a, it was a dream come true to be up there. Wow. Just awesome, just awesome. And and from what I understand, I received your, your email in regards to uh, the program uh, has already aired on the Discovery Channel. Mm-hmm. Are they going to air it in the near future? It is available now online. Oh, uh, so if okay. you go to uh, discovery.com uh, slant uh, videos, I believe, mm-hmm. and uh, in search for Everest uh, or Everest Beyond the Limit, uh, you can see all the episodes there, including mine, which was the, uh, the third uh, episode. I think it, the the title of it is uh, "Deadly Countdown." Let's <laughs> have a de- you know a dramatic uh, a title for these things. But uh, um, it was a very well done. Um, my only disappointment was that they didn't spend nearly enough time talking about uh, the Sherpas that uh, were part of our team. Um, but uh, you know that that's uh, Hollywood for you, I guess. But. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Well, well, maybe when you have a chance to do it again, you can produce your own segment and um, do it from your point of view. Well, I don't know if that I'll have a, a chance to go back, at least not uh, while still married. <laughs> <laughs> well, I guess Gail has said uh, twice is, is more than enough. So. Yeah, that's right. That's, that's right. right. That's, right. <laughs> that's great. And uh, tell us about Gail. I had the opportunity of having dinner with you and Gail at the outsell meeting. And she just seems like the most down-to-earth person that you can ever meet and uh, just a, a dynamic lady. And tell us a little bit about Gail and your two children. Oh, yeah, she's, she's very patient with me, first and foremost, uh, uh, but also just a very kind-hearted, uh, uh, really funny person. She's got a, a great sarcastic sense of humor, um, works in a very high-stress job, actually. She's a director uh, of the emergency room, emergency department at the Texas Children's Hospital. Oh, wow. Um, she's a, a nurse by, by training, but uh, now oversees uh, nursing and, and house staff of uh, the, uh, the department. And uh, uh, so it's a very dynamic environment as well. But uh, she's very calm, under pressure, and uh, that certainly uh, helps her balance all the uh, you know, dynamic things in our lives. And then uh, we have uh, two kids, uh, uh, my son, uh, Luke, is uh, just turning 13 uh, as of tomorrow. And then uh, my daughter, Jenna, is is uh, 10. Okay. And uh, what does Luke like to do with his uh, time after school? 
Well, he loves basketball. In fact, uh, I'm on my way to a basketball game here in just a little bit. Uh, mm-hmm. But he um, uh, loves the sport um, and then also likes the outdoors quite a bit. So uh, looking forward to you know, sharing the mountains with him in the future. Excellent, excellent. And tell us a little bit about your daughter. Uh, my daughter, Jenna, is a beautiful uh, little girl. She uh, is autistic, um, so that has been a, mm-hmm. obviously a significant challenge uh, mm-hmm. as parents. Uh, but uh, we've uh, investigated a, uh, a great deal about the disorder and uh, provided her with uh, a lot of additional resources that have really made a, a big difference in, in her life. And, and uh, you know, she's, she's doing extremely well uh, uh, in school, and uh, we're very hopeful that uh, she continues to, to do well and, and to learn and, and to uh, you know, adapt with uh, the autism that, you know, is a struggle for her, no doubt. Oh, no doubt. And that is something that uh, many of our families in the United States uh, uh, are faced with. And she is so blessed to have uh, you and Gail as her parents to, to help her with that. Yeah, it, it's, uh, I, I feel for any parent that has a, a special needs child, it, it's, uh, um, you're, you do everything that you possibly can for them, of course. And, uh, um, but it does, you know, we've seen that it's made a, a huge difference uh, to, uh, to uh, give her the uh, extra attention that, that she needs. And, uh, and we're, we're thrilled that uh, autism is getting more and more uh, uh, public awareness. Of course, it's, it's now uh, one in 150 children born in this country will be diagnosed with it. So we need to apply a lot of uh, energy and res- yes. uh, research dollars to, to get to the bottom of it and prevent it and or uh, find better treatments for it. Absolutely, absolutely. And what we'll be sure to do, uh, we'll be sure to post um, uh, the autism site up on our website so that folks can get more information. I think the more that we speak about it, the more that we educate people, and the more research we can do it, we can certainly work towards understanding it better and uh, to help folks with it, that's for sure. Thank you, Durrell. Yeah, if you could post uh, Autism Speaks, it's a, a great organization that I've recently become uh, uh, involved with a little bit, uh, that would be that would be great. Uh, we certainly would do that, and I'll make sure uh, when it's up, I'll send you the link, and you can share it with all of your uh, friends and colleagues. Will do. And, you know, you spoke earlier about uh, John Glenn as one of your, your boyhood heroes, but um, who are some of your most recent heroes that you'd like to share with our audience? Oh, that's a good, good question. Well, I, I guess my, uh, just dating back to, uh, to my childhood, uh, Glenn certainly was one. Uh, Jacques Cousteau, uh, Neil Armstrong, um, Edmund Hillary. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, you know, more recently, um, uh, I guess uh, um, I would uh, uh, count among them uh, my uh, my daughter, which uh, mm-hmm. may, may sound a little bit uh, unusual, but uh, no, just the way that she uh, has. Uh, uh, you know, faces the world, but, uh, um, you know, is still, uh, you know, such a happy, engaging kid and, and tries uh, so hard, uh, even though uh, she struggles with, uh, um, you know, expressive and receptive language, uh, which is one of the hallmarks of autism. Mm-hmm. You know, she's really a, a wonderful kid. And, and also my son, uh, just the, the way he's so empathetic with her and uh, obviously become a, a role model uh, for her, uh, it's it's really a, a beautiful thing to see them, 
playing together and, and uh, growing together. Absolutely, absolutely. And is there a particular quote that um, you'd like to share with the audience that, uh, that really uh, identifies leadership as you see it through your eyes? There's a fun one uh, that I can share with you. It's uh, it's from a, a climbing friend of mine. He's actually a NASA engineer. Uh, I summited uh, Aconcagua in South America with him. It's a the tallest mountain in the world outside of Asia, uh, and uh, got to know him very well. And his uh, his quote for the trip, which I think bears quite heavily on leadership, is uh, <laughs> uh, no true adventure is fun while it's happening. <laughs> and uh, I, I, what that means to me is, uh, you know, there, there are certain things that, uh, you know, take a great deal of patience and tenacity and hard work, uh, business uh, leadership decisions, uh, you know, starting whether to start a new company, whether to uh, invest, divest, uh, hire, fire. Um, these things can be gut-wrenching decisions for, for business leaders. Um, but in the, the outcome uh, when you look back on them, uh, oftentimes is wonderful. So we would uh, often remark that you know, you know, no true adventure is fun while it's happening. You know, other, in other words, you know, slogging our way up this peak is uh, is pretty miserable. But it's amazing right now when I think back on that trip, I I can only remember the positive things out of it. You know, the team that I was with, the uh, the views from the top, and and everything in between. So. You know, it reminds me of my uh, my late stepfather, uh, who said to me when I was going through a particularly particularly challenging time, he says, "Well, when you're climbing the mountain of life, it's the rough spots that give you something to hold on to." Exactly, there mm-hmm. it is. Yeah. yeah so, yep. and that that stayed with me, and that made me really realize that maybe my problems weren't so bad, and um, I got through it just fine. And last but not least, what is your favorite book on leadership? Well, I, I, there are several. Um, I, I'm not sure I can point to one, but uh, you know, I, as I think I mentioned uh, earlier, uh, I've always uh, really admired uh, uh, General Powell. Uh, mm-hmm. My American Journey is a yes. is a really wonderful book. Um, there are all sorts of mountaineering books that uh, I really enjoy. Uh, that uh, The Ascent of Everest by John Hunt, that talked about the 1953. Uh, first successful summit of Mount Everest, uh, where they really had to approach the mountain uh, in kind of a, a military you know, siege uh, tactic, and uh, the, all the logistics that went into it. Um, it's it's not uh, written in the in the most perfect prose. It's it, parts of it uh, um, drag on a, a bit, but uh, you know the. Uh, Attention to uh, detail and and uh, the focus that uh, that team exhibited on that uh, that first ascent was uh, was truly remarkable. Mm-hmm. So I'd recommend that book as well. Excellent, excellent. Well, Scott, unfortunately, our time is up, and I have to say it's been such an honor and a privilege to spend these last two weeks with you talking about your experiences in space and on Mount Mount Everest. Thank you so much. I really enjoyed it as well, and. I look forward uh, to seeing it at some future conference. Absolutely. Well, we want to thank our guest, Dr. Scott Parazinski, for being our guest on Leadership Today. This is Darrell Gunter, your host of Leadership on WSOU 89.5 FM, Seton Hall University. Remember, leadership begins with you. Scott, that was excellent.